And now, the MI6 Sports Network proudly presents Wild Sports Talk, featuring all of the wild and crazy sports news, stories, and takes of the day. Now, with all of the wild and craziness of the sports world, here's your hosts, Callan McClurg, Isaiah Leung, and Jonathan Mathis. And happy Monday, everybody, and welcome into yet another live edition of Wild Sports Talk, episode number seven, moving and grooving on this Monday, August the 10th, 2020. As always, folks, alongside my main two fellas, Jonathan Mathis, Isaiah Leung, and our producer and engineer behind the scenes, shareable Stephen Wayne joining us. Cal McClurg, as usual, joining you folks here from San Diego, California. John and Isaiah, hope you guys had a great week. And how's it going tonight? We get another week of coverage underway. Hey, what's up? What's going on, guys? It's always fun talking sports. I love talking sports. And all day today, I've been dropping big buckets, baby. I'm loving it. Da, 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 da. I'm loving hmm. it. It's time to get wild. Oh. Let's go, baby. Let's go. Uh, loving the energy, John. And of course, Isaiah Leung joining us up in the Bay Area. Isaiah, good to see you, man. How are we doing today? Hey, it's good to see you, John and Callan. But I got to do one thing before we start. Altuve! Bregman! Sweet. Where you all at? Sweet. Hello? Sweet. <laughs> He's looking for the broom. Isaiah, did you find the broom yet? Open this up, this series. How? About them Oakland A's. Sweet, Oakland. sweet, sweet. Oakland. How about both of Isaiah's teams on a huge run? Right now, Isaiah's two teams, the Suns and the A's, are in on a combined 15-0 run in the NB in the pandemic. Unbelievable, to say the least. I yeah. couldn't find Altuve. I couldn't find Bregman. So I guess they skipped out of town early to avoid the humiliation. Isaiah, <laughs> what big announcement do you have for us today? All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, um, unfortunately, I won't be able to make the show on Wednesday because uh, I got some stuff that came up. But this Saturday, August 15, is my 22nd birthday, and we're going to do something new here on this show. So this called Wild Sports Talk. We're going to legitimately make this show wild. So every time one of us has a birthday, we're going to celebrate our birthday on this show. So we're going to start with me, and, you know, I got this amazing, uh, beautiful chocolate cupcake. I don't know if you guys can see it, but oh, right there. Look at this, guys. Right here. This looks amazing, man. Uh, this was given to me. I don't know about you, but I'm feeling 22. Younger brother, let's go. Let's and that probably becomes hey man, the greatest it. dance gift in wild sports talk history.
that's how thank we start you, off guys. the show, thank man. You. Hey, with that being said, I make my grand exit. Congratulations to my little brother, Isaiah, my brother from another mother. You are now 22 years old. Yes, Taylor sir. Swift is proud. Everybody's proud, man. Son off. I'm proud. Happy birthday, my friend. Happy oh, birthday. my goodness. And that becomes the single greatest dance gift in wild sports talk history here on the MI6 Sports Network. With that, folks, we'll get back on track here now. We apologize for the antics. Uh, but, of course, though, folks, we'll take your input, though, on the sports world. Uh, sports world. I know, folks, a lot of uh, a lot of big stories to get to here as we roll over the next hour or so here on uh, on the MI6 tonight. But, of course, folks, we'll take your input uh, in the live chat box or on the watch parties being held right now at this time. And, of course, we'll, uh, again, dive into some very uh, huge topics and, again, plenty more discussion, folks. And, again, we appreciate everyone for being here today and joining us here for episode seven. With that, guys, we'll start things off up in Isaiah's neck of the woods with the Oakland Athletics, who again, guys, pulled off the three-game sweep of the Houston Astros to take a commanding first-place lead in the AOS division, now on a nine-game winning streak. They are playing tonight in Anaheim against the uh, Angels. Insert your favorite city name here for that organization uh, with first pitch coming up in roughly... Uh, about 10 or 15 minutes or so. But Isaiah, you know, man, we talked about this series on Wednesday um, with Oakland and Houston about how critical this would be for the A's, you know, a team kind of being close so many times for the AOS championship. And of course, the Astros, uh, by virtue of 2017 and also many years though recently, simply owning and dominating the American League West division. But now, man, it looks like the tables are turning. And of course, Oakland had the walk-off victory earlier in the series. Jose Altuve had a you know game to forget with the airs on defense on Sunday. Uh, Saturday, the A's were hitting the ball to the ballpark. And, man, a nine-game winning streak now going on the road to probably some very what looks to be on paper winnable games for Oakland. Uh, Isaiah, in your mind, though, how big of a series or weekend was this uh, for uh, the A's, knowing about what this uh, series probably meant to them uh, after what's gone on in recent years in your mind? Yeah, Cal. Alan, this is a massive series for the Oakland A's simply because the Astros have been owning the A for years and years and years. But this weekend, as we said on Wednesday and also on Thursday on no BS, I said the athletics could not lose this series. The A's had to win this series simply because we were the better team. We had a way better pitching staff than the Houston Astros, whose pitching staff has been ravaged by injuries all year long. They lost Justin Verlander to an elbow injury. Their pitching staff was already very thin with Garrett Coe um, departing for the New York Yankees. And in their bullpen, which was already really bad last season, lost Roberto Osuna and Chris Davinsky, two of their top relievers in that bullpen. So now their bullpen is led by a 45-year-old Fernando Rodney. Like, can you guys believe that a 45 year old Fernando Rodney who was so bad last season had a six point something ERA is now the Houston Astros best pitcher in the bullpen I said the A's could not lose because if they lose this series with all the advantages that they have over Houston they do not deserve to win the AL West and the A's they go out and they complete not just win the series they complete a three game sweep 
of those Houston Astros. And the thing that I got out of this weekend was the Oakland A's this weekend sent a loud and clear message to the entire baseball world and to all the doubters out there that we are for real. We're not this fluke team that just are winning games because we're lucky and stuff. No. We've got a great pitching staff led by Frankie Montas, Jesus Lazardo, a prized rookie phenom, really nasty. You've got Sean Manaya, Mike Fires, who won 15 games last season, uh, the veteran in that pitching staff. And in the bullpen, which coming into the season, a lot of people thought that the A's bullpen was going to be a major issue. The A's bullpen last year blew 34 saves, 34 saves last year, which was a major league high and the bullpen has been super stellar. You've got guys like Liam Hendricks, Joaquin Soria, Yusmero Petit, who have 0.00 ERAs. It's just really, really fun to watch. And then the lineup with Matt Chapman, Matt Olson, Chris Davis, Marcus Simeon starting to get going, Stephen Piscotti starting to get going, Sean Murphy getting going. It's just up and down. This team is just stacked. And um, it's, it's, I think the tables have been turned uh, not just for now, but for the future as well, because the Astros, they are a veteran team that is going down and the A's are on the come up. So the A's showed the baseball world this weekend that, you know, we're for real now. And it's so good to see after years and years of heartbreak in the, um, the, the wild card game, but uh, Cal and John, I want to touch on the, uh, what happened in that A's Astros game on Sunday. Obviously, the series was very, very frustrating. It was good because the A's swept, but it was kind of frustrating in terms of the A's just couldn't get runners uh, with less than, yeah, runners at third with less than two outs to score, which I think the A's really need to work on because if you're going to go and take the next step, you have to be able to play good situational baseball. But the thing I want to touch on is the the thing that uh, the brawl that went on in that game. And you guys, I'm pretty sure know what happened. Ramon Laureano and Alex Cintron, the Astros hitting coach got into it. But my take on the brawl is that Alex Cintron needs to be suspended for the entire year. This guy is a classless clown and a wannabe tough guy. He had a terrible playing career in which he got bounced around from organization to organization to organization. And when he retired, he became the hitting coach for the Houston Astros. And then this winter, it got discovered that it wasn't really him that was making the Astros great at hitting. It was those trash cans and buzzers. So Cintron, who is already irrelevant when it comes to being a player, is also irrelevant as a coach as well. This dude just isn't good at anything. Yesterday, he decided that he wanted to be relevant and in the spotlight. So he decided to pick a fight with Ramon Laureano. When after Laureano got drilled by yet another pitch from the Astros, he was barking at them, which I agree he should do. Because when you're drilled three times in one game, like it might not have been the intent of the Astros. But come on, like three times in one game, it's really frustrating. So I agree that um, with Ramon's frustration, but as he was standing over at first, uh, he was calm. And then Cintrone started uh, deciding, hey, I want to be relevant and in the news. So he started barking at Loriano and he reportedly said something uh, that was ridiculous about Ramon's mother. And if you look at the video, you can clearly see that he told him to come and fight him. And Ramon Loriano then charged at him. I would do the same if I was Ramon. If you egg him on to do it, then I would definitely do it. 
Um, this guy clearly egged him on because he wanted to be relevant. Well, Cintron, I got a message for you. Congratulations on becoming relevant for the first time in your life. And congrats on getting onto the front page of the newspapers and trending on Twitter. I really think and recommend you to save all those newspapers and those tweets that were tweeted about you and said about you because you will need something to keep you busy when Ron Manfred and baseball suspend you for the rest of the season and you're stuck at home with nothing to do for the rest of the year. Heck, you should learn how to cook or maybe go do some gardening to keep you busy while uh, at it. So, I mean, yeah, this guy, your job as a coach is to cool down the situation, not instigate it, but he decided to instigate it because you wanted to be relevant. So I do believe Sintro definitely has to be suspended for the entire year. If he doesn't, Rob Manfred and who knows, the rest of the Oakland A's fan base, we will show up at your front door and revolt. So you better watch out, Manfred. Boom goes that dynamite. First time of the night right here, uh, courtesy of Isaiah Leung. Uh, John, we'll hold off on the brawl for a second here. I want to kind of get about the actual series first in, the, again, a whole nother can of worms there. But, you know, John, you know, we really had spoke volumes about this series for the A's in general because of what we knew uh, that this would probably be, a you know, one of a, you know, maybe a turning point in their season. Again, you know, the A's have been a ball club who for the past 10 or 20 years has relied on not a lot of star talent, the money ball philosophy, you know, the 20 game winning streak in 2002, you know, all the, you know, guys brought in just to work at bats and get on base. But now though, I mean, I, I think a lot of people may have probably have said this. I mean, I don't know if it's been sent on here or whatnot, but in a way though, the, the A's of how they hit the ball, though I wasn't alive, reminds me a lot of the 89 team, the Bash Brothers, the Maguires, and the Consecos, where this whole lineup, they have home run power, and especially in the Oakland Alameda County Coliseum. Not the easiest play to play a baseball game with the foul territory, and also about how the ball either flies, doesn't fly, you have to get the ball, you know, elevated in certain ball, parts of the ballpark because of how the wall is. But, uh, John, in your mind, though, how big of a momentum gainer is this for the A's sweeping out Houston and now going on the road and trying to add on to this nine game winning streak. It's huge for the Oakland A's. The Oakland A's are a really great team that gets overlooked by a lot of people in this league. And then you talk about teams like the Dodgers who have unmatched star power, but yet you go to the Bay area and you have a team with tremendous star power itself. It is uh, wonderful what, these Oakland A's have been able to accomplish in such, you know, a short time. You, you, you mentioned the names on this team, Marcus Simeon, uh, Olsen, uh, Matt Chapman, a Cal State Fullerton product um, who has really emerged into a superstar and a reliable third baseman. The Oakland A's have done it by playing small ball. They have done it by, you know, uh, this money ball philosophy that seems to work in their favor over and over and over again. We see it all the time. This Oakland A's team is very impressive. They were nothing short of brilliant against the Astros. They dominated that series. They had their way the entire series. And they had so many advantages that worked in their favor. We saw it. We, we see how stellar their bullpen is. We see how remarkable their starting rotation is. The Oakland A's are the scariest team in the AL West right now. 
I I think you have to take this team very seriously. You can't you can't deny this team's talent because this team is definitely um, favorites to win right now. And I honestly think, by the way, they're playing early on that they could run away with the AL uh, with the AL West. No doubt about it. That, folks, brings us to the poll question for our baseball summit, folks. You have plenty of time to vote on this. We have a f- plenty of more topics on the table for baseball here. But it's simple. In your mind, who is the best team right now in the American League? Is it Oakland, Minnesota, the Yankees, or other? If you chose other, uh, write it in the uh, comment box, and we'll do our best to make sure that those are, in fact, read on the air. But, again, uh, the poll is simple. Who is the best team in your mind in the American League? The A's, the Twins, the Yankees, or is it another AL ball club? And I think, um, Isaiah, to further add, though, about Oakland, is now I think that now they're in a good spot, a nine-game win streak, but now going on the road and probably in a lot of people's mind facing a lot of very inferior ball clubs on this road trip. What do you got to say about the ace to add on? Yeah, um, I was just going to add about the um, the upcoming stretch for the A's. I think this the upcoming stretch for the A's is very, very favorable to them. I could honestly see the A's being the number one seed in the American League, believe it or not, because if you look at their stretch that they've got upcoming – You've got three in Anaheim tonight. The Angels, we know they're not a good team. They've got a good lineup, but pitching-wise, they're horrible. And then you've got three against the San Francisco Giants. They're bad as well. And then you've got four against Arizona. Arizona's been uh, beat up lately with Madison Bumgarner going on the disabled uh, on the injured list. Uh, they don't really have the pitching. Their lineup is all right, but I'm not really worried about them. And then you've got uh, four against the Texas Rangers and then three against the Angels in Oakland, followed by another three against Seattle. So I think if the A's, they've got to capitalize on this stretch. And if they do, they are going to be in the, the best team in the American League. John, do you agree with that sentiment because of how the schedule's worked out for Oakland? Again, we'll talk about some other teams that are in our neck of the woods uh, very shortly in our baseball segment. But John, do you agree though, that perhaps that this stretch for Oakland could be what either makes them separate from the pack or let the rest of the division kind of hang around in a little bit of a way here. I think this stretch is an advantage for them. I think this is a, is a chance for them to separate from other teams. Look, the A's are just too good. They have too much talent. And this right here just goes to show you that you don't have to have big name superstars to dominate your division. You can have a bunch of names on a team that can do just as much as the big name superstars can. And that's what the Oakland A's have epitomized. That's what they have shown you time and time again. But I think this this schedule that's coming up for them is a huge advantage for them. And I think um, this is, is, is a great opportunity for them to break things open, and and run away with the division. Uh, with that, fellas, uh, let's now switch gears now about the other sidebar story to the series between the A's and the Astros, which, again, was the very, very ugly and disgusting brawl that broke out, as Isaiah already uh, said his piece about it. John, we'll get your thoughts on this as well momentarily. But, guys, you know, I thought that Kevin Millar on MLB Network today said it perfectly about this situation because of what we are, of course, in with this pandemic is this is now becoming a tired act in a lot of former players or a lot of people's minds that we know about what's gone on with Houston. 
But also think, though, it's also not just about, okay, forget the cheating scandal for a second, though. It's also, though, in Wake, though, Isaiah, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, though, bud, but wasn't uh, Lariano thrown at, like, at least three or four times before this game on Friday and Saturday? Yeah, he was, in the entire series in total, he was thrown at five times. So I think it was more so pent-up frustration about everything that's gone on in regards to, for one, Oakland winning all the games, for one. And secondly, that the Astros are kind of, in a way, falling by the wayside and that they're in, you know, in some deep trouble right now. And obviously, John, I do not see how now Rob Manfred cannot avoid giving some type of punishment now to the Astros because, as Isaiah said, though, and Kevin Millar said this, though, again today on Intentional Talk on the Network for Baseball today, was as a coach, you're not supposed to stir the pot. You're supposed to be, you know, the parent to break up an altercation, not start the trouble. And again, Centrone, again, kind of egging him on. But what happens? He's like, oh, I don't want to get involved with this. He literally backs up and a player, Justin Garneau, former Angel catcher, steps in and again, knocks down Loriano. But again, if you're going to at least, if you're doing this, then you deserve to get, you know, what's you, coming you deserve to get what's coming to you at this time. So, John, give me your thoughts on the altercation yesterday. Uh, between the A's and the Astros, where, again, the second time in a matter of weeks, the Astros are involved in another bench-clearing melee, again, during a very, you know, not good time to be having brawls, especially with the uh, punishment that we have seen given out by Major League Baseball already. You know what? This is really, really, really silly. It's petty. Um, Enough's enough. Uh, Centrone, he knew better than this. He's, you know, he's been around for a long... He's been around long enough to know better. Um, what he did was uncalled for, was unnecessary. It was uh, very childish of him to stoop to uh, Loriano's level. Um, you know, look, you got to be the bigger person there. You don't instigate a situation like this, you know, and he's in there, you know, um, shouting obscenities from the dugout to Lariano, I think I would have charged the dugout as well um, out of anger, you know, and I think the frustration with Lariano built up, um, you know, throughout the series, and that's what, you know, prompted him to to charge the dugout. Um, he was very upset, very angry, um, and, and Centrone knew that he wasn't going to, you know, get involved in the fight. He, he just, you know, challenged him as if he was Mr. Tough Guy and knew his team all along had his back. So he wasn't really, he had no intentions of getting involved in the altercation. He just wanted to start start a, a farcus, and that's what he did. And, and it became an ugly scene yesterday, you know, at the Coliseum. And, you know, it, it just looks bad. And I think there has to be some level of discipline here. You know, you, you, you know, you deserve to be punished for your actions. I mean, you know, that was, that was, that was stupid, you know, um, um, bad behavior by a guy that should be in the dugout setting example, a guy who should be breaking up altercations, you know, not, uh, initiating brawls like we saw yesterday. Um, yes, I definitely think that he needs to be levied a, a suspension and a fine, for his actions on Sunday uh, that led to this ugly uh, melee that we saw yesterday. 
Isaiah, I think Kevin Millar said it best, though. You know, and Millar, former player, of course, 04 champ with the Red Sox, you know, and he's been in these things, especially, of course, Yankees, Red Sox in that early time of the 2000s with the Veritech A Rod brawl and all the bean balls and, you know, all those altercations and things like that. Is for one, it's becoming a very tired act. This has happened twice now with the Astros again. Again, I think rightfully so against the Dodgers for the first one. But now again, you're talking about going against the A's, who again simply owned you all weekend. I think it's I think it was a matter of, you know, pent up frustration that the season's been going off terribly, you know, for them. It's a couple, it's a, you know, a it's a compiled mess of a lot of other nonsense. But again, though, Alex Centrone, I think, and per Buster only on the uh, Sunday night baseball broadcast last night. If, in fact, there's punishment, could be facing a very, very lengthy suspension, probably around the lines of what Pete Rose had gotten during his time in the late 80s. I think he got like a 30-day day or 30-game suspension uh, for something that he had done. I forget what the exact wording was. But Isaiah, you know, I, like I said, though, is if you're a coach, you don't get things started. You know, you're supposed to be out there as a parent pulling guys apart, putting them in timeout in the corner. You know, you're supposed to keep your rear end in your area of the dugout and not stir the part and get, stir the pot and get things uh, going. So I guess Isaiah further, your final thoughts on the uh, altercation between Oakland and Houston yesterday at the Coliseum. Yeah. I mean, I think me and John, we uh, said basically everything that needs to be said. And that is, I mean, Centrone, the guy's just looking for attention. The guy's like a six year old that uh, is like yelling, mommy, mommy, mommy. Like he's, <laughs> this guy's literally terrible. Like this guy had a terrible career. He's just trying to get relevant, and Centrone, congratulations on getting relevant, but and also congratulations on getting suspended for at least thirty games because you deserve it. Because I mean, you're you should you should know better than this. You're a coach. You sh- you should be pulling people away instead of you know jumping into the fracas uh, and you know getting everything started. So I think Centrone is absolutely classless, and you know honestly, I would have done the same thing as Moriano because this guy said some nasty things about Loriano's mother. He didn't, he took this personal. He didn't like keep it on the baseball field. He didn't say like, oh, you suck at baseball, whatever. No, he took it personal and said some nasty things about Loriano's mother. If you would do that to someone else on the street, you would probably get jumped. And so yeah, Centrone absolutely deserves and he needs to get suspended at least 30 days. So again, folks, we'll keep an eye on that, as we've already mentioned at this uh, juncture uh, with Major League Baseball right now. But again, uh, the A's, again, more than anything else, though, more importantly, uh, win the series uh, sweeping out the Houston Astros from the Coliseum. And again, are now on a nine-game win streak heading uh, on the road for the next couple of games. Uh, again, that'll be uh, they'll be in Anaheim starting a series tonight versus the L.A. Angels of Anaheim, California, 92806. Planet Earth, Milky Way, Galaxy for that entire uh, franchise's name. And again, folks, keep voting in that poll question. Again, who in your mind is the best team in the AL right now? Oakland, Minnesota, the Yankees, or is it another team in your mind? John, we'll start with you on this about the St. Louis Cardinals, man. And again, we know that they've been under another mighty microscope over the past several uh, days. They have had uh, a uh, two series now wiped off the board this past weekend with the Cubs. And again, earlier on in the week with the Pirates and now also uh, baseball today announcing that their Thursday double dip with the Tigers has been postponed as well again due to more positive COVID-19 testing. This again will allow baseball or the Cardinals to at least do better or at least do additional testing or additional tracing about where in fact this came from. Because again, John, this story has been very, very complicated because there's been a lot of conflicting reports about casinos, jet skiing, going to a lake, 
while they were in Milwaukee, what was really going to happen. And again, uh, more than more than anything else, though, again, the uh, Cardinals, much like the Marlins, are now going to be shut down, it looks like, for the duration of the week. Uh, John, uh, what are your thoughts about the latest uh, issues facing the St. Louis Cardinals in your mind? You know, it's a very complex story, as you just uh, pointed out. Um, and, you know, it's reckless behavior on their part. You know, they knew that we were in the middle of a pandemic. They knew that there was safety and health protocols put into place. They did follow those safety and, and health protocols that was put into place. And their reckless behavior caught up to them, um, as we've seen. Uh, all these positive tests that keeps uh, popping up, you know, and the Cardinals, they knew better. Uh, they knew they're wrong, um, you know, and now they have to pay the consequences for it. And by paying the consequences, they're missing out on action. You know, uh, this could uh, cost them in the end. This can really, really jeopardize their season. And I think it will. How would they have enough time to make up these games? Also, missing a number of games can be very significant because this could be a momentum killer. You know, this could really, really set you back. And you might not have a chance to pull off a magical comeback, not when it's a shortened 60-game season. It might be different if it was 162 games. We see the Cardinals get off to slow, rocky starts and somehow amazingly put together a significant amount of wins to get back into the race. Well, this is a different year. It's a weird year. And with that being said, that might have just, you know, did some serious damage to their season. And I don't feel sorry for them at all. I don't have any sympathy for them because they knew what they were doing before they decided to do it. And now it's, it's biting them in the rear end. And unfortunately, because of poor judgment, they pan the price for it. And you know what? Tough luck. Isaiah, you know, I think that the last ball club or professional sports organization, anybody in baseball at least would, can, would even think about doing something the wrong way is definitely with St. Louis Cardinals. We talk and hear about the Cardinal way, do things the right way, no cutting corners, you know, 100% effort across the board. Well, no, man, the Cardinals are in a very rough spot now. And again, though, I think though, John's on a great point, though, Isaiah, is that there's not going to be a lot of time at this rate to make up all these games. You know, we've seen, like I said, we've seen like at least three or four games every night. And me for a baseball fan, being a baseball fan, that's very depressing. Just seeing, you know, game postpone, 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 postpone. We had a game last night that was suspended because of uh, poor field conditions and a blunder by the uh, Nationals uh, grounds crew in DC last night because of the heavy rain back there. Uh, but again, though, man, it's depressing seeing games that always have PPD next to them, whether it's rain or in our case now, it's either rain or COVID-19 related. But Isaiah, though, uh, your reaction, though, about the Cardinals and uh, again, that they're pretty much done now for the remainder of the week because of utter stupidity on their part. 
Um, so before I get into the Cardinals situation, I just want to commend Major League Baseball and Rob Manfred for um, implementing these new protocols that are much stricter than before. And I think one of the parts of the new protocols are that they have a, uh, I think it's like a compliance officer, a compliance security officer that is at every team's hotel. And if they catch you going out, uh, then you will be, um, then they, that officer will tell the team and the team is reportedly going to um, send you back home and have you quarantine. And that really worked out this weekend because I, um, I heard about um, the Zach Plezak situation with the Cleveland Indians where uh, Zach Plezak reportedly went out of his hotel. He snuck out of his hotel, went to a party, and then the compliance officer told the Cleveland Indians about it. The Indians took swift action. Even though Plezak is one of their top pitchers, they sent him home. And then it was reportedly discovered today that Mike Clevenger also snuck out with Plezak to go to that party. So MLB great job what you guys are doing um, in keeping these players safe and implementing these new policies and to please Zach and Clevenger absolutely shame on you guys like if I if I were you guys are lucky that you guys only get sent home and you guys can return um, after the team returns home because if I'm commissioner I would have suspended you guys for the season for your reckless actions I mean going to a sneaking out of your hotel and going to a party in the middle of a pandemic like this is exactly what's wrong with America and why our cases have spiked so high and this also relates to the Cardinals John said it very well the Cardinals absolutely deserve it because they made reckless uh, met reckless decisions after reckless decisions, going to a party, going um, to a casino, going to a lake. Like we've all seen how this ends. This always ends poorly with a team getting the, with someone getting the coronavirus and the team ends up getting an outbreak. So these people, they never, ever learn. They just want to have fun and they end up ruining the season for the rest of the 27, 28 teams that are following protocols and, you know, staying at the hotels. And even though it's not fun, but you got to do it to have a season. So shame on the Cardinals, shame on uh, Clevenger and Plezak. And I am glad that Major League Baseball has finally tightened up the screws. Yeah. And again, those screws, folks, um, while they still perhaps have come off a little bit, though, it seemed to have it seems to have worked a little bit. But again, the Cardinals, as of right now, probably done for the remainder of this week right now. Uh, with, again, their series with Pittsburgh right now on hold. And, again, their doubleheader with the Tigers on Thursday also uh, postponed uh, because of, again, the Cardinals having to go back and kind of, in a way, investigate the uh, uh, the uh, spike in cases, again, which, again, has uh, come from uh, talks of casinos, of uh, being on the lake, going golfing, or a asymptomatic uh, individual going and being in contact with the ball club in some capacity. So, again, uh, the Cardinals probably pretty much done for the remainder of this week for Major League Baseball. And again, we'll see how they are able to make up all these missed games. Uh, and if in fact, they're even able to do so in a timely manner. Uh, with that, guys, we'll, uh, we'll switch gears. We're going to come back uh, our neck of the woods here and go to Arizona and talk about Madison Bumgarner, fellas, who was totally obliterated by the San Diego Padres on Sunday, allowing six home runs or giving up four of the six home runs that the Padres did in the first three innings of their game on Sunday Bumgarner was also today, guys, um, put on the IL today uh, due to what is now being called a mid-back strain uh, after his two-inning start against the Padres in San Diego yesterday afternoon. Again, the Padres hit six home runs 
the first time that they've hit six home runs in a home game at Petco Park, and also first time ever in club history that they've, that they've accomplished that feat. And we're only one away of tying their club record that was uh, seven home runs hit versus the Blue Jays in Toronto last season. And John, you know, I put a stat in my uh, post-game recap yesterday for MI6 and for SoCal Sports Chronicle and in my notes here as well about Mr. Bumgarner is Bumgarner in his four starts with Arizona is 0-3 with an ERA of over 9.35. He has thrown 17 and a third innings. And oh, by the way, he's owed $85 million over the next five years. I would think the D-backs have buyer's remorse John, what, and honestly, I think it goes back to this about Bumgarner is that ATV accident where he really, again, did a number on his ribs, on his, on his torso area, maybe hurt his arm in some capacity. Where again, he really didn't spill the beans about that. But John, he has not been the same pitcher as he once was in San Francisco. And again, uh, just being totally torched by the Padres offense yesterday for a career high four home runs given up to San Diego yesterday, including two by third baseman Manny Machado to break out of a very lengthy batting slump for Machado and uh, for the Padres. Uh, John, what are your early takeaways from Bumgarner going to the D-backs right now after these, again, very four extremely terrible starts for Mad Bum in PHX? Ouch. Well, we do know this much that, you know, he passed the prime that saw him win three World Series titles. Um, you know, he was once at the top of his game. He is no longer at the top of his game. He was one of the best pitchers of his generation. He no longer, you know, uh, has the claim to all-time greatness. Um, he's, uh, uh, he's not the Madison Bumgarner that he once was. He's not. He's in decline. Um, you know, I think a lot of that contributes to, you know, uh, what we're seeing out of him now. You know, uh, his velocity on his fastball has dipped uh, quite a bit. Um, I mean, his uh, fastballs are not as deceptive as they once were. Um, you know, he's just not the lights out Madison Bumgarner that we knew all too well in San Francisco. And, you know, the Arizona Diamondbacks, I think they were desperate for a starting pitcher that they didn't look at his statistics before he left San Francisco because his statistics weren't all that, you know, fascinating uh, before his departure with the Giants, which is why the Giants basically, you know, uh, put him on the market. They were willing to put him on the market, didn't get a trade for him. Uh, he became a free agent, ended up signing with the Diamondbacks. And look what we're seeing. I mean, he's been a nightmare for, for Arizona, a, an absolute nightmare. And I know they didn't think they were getting sloppy seconds from the Bay Area team, but look what's happening. I mean, you're seeing Bumgarner deteriorate before your very eyes, and it's not a beautiful sight for the Arizona Diamondbacks, I'm pretty sure this signing now is very regrettable. I'm pretty sure it is because not only has he not won a game, but you look at his ERA and it's, it's horrific. It's horrific. What is the ERA again? Give it to me again. That ERA for Bumgarner in his four starts is 9.35. Yes. Yes. Uh, Madison Bumgarner is washed up now. 
He's been washed up ever since he gave up a home run to Max Muncy, that the home run ball that made quite a splash in the uh, McCovey Cole. And and since then, Madison Bumgarner's been washed up. I mean, you know, I, I think he might as well just call it quits, go on a long vacation, get a kayak and go out into the cove and try to look for that ball that Max Muncy hit out there because, man, it's not looking good for him at all. Isaiah, if there's anything I've learned in my time watching Major League Baseball, especially being a Padre fan, is there are two ballparks in the NOS where pitchers' ERAs go to die. Coors Field in Denver, Chase Field in Phoenix, Arizona. Because of the altitude, the weather, and the ball flies out of those ballparks like you're watching NASA space shuttles take off from Cape Canaveral, Florida. Again, Isaiah, I'll read that again. He's 0-3 in four starts with a 9.35 ERA, and he's thrown only 17 in the third innings pitched. And again, he's in year one of a five-year deal worth $85 million. I would think that the D-backs right now, Isaiah, are definitely having some buyer's remorse because you're getting a guy, as John said, though, way beyond his prime of those three World Series, that shutdown outing he had against the Royals in the World Series in relief, nonetheless, in game seven of that World Series in 2014. And again, man, First time in his career that he's given up, or he gave up four home runs last night, and two of those off the bat of Padre third baseman Manny Machado. Isaiah, your thoughts on Mad Bum and his very rapid decline right now for the Snakes? Uh, maybe John is right. You know, also maybe Max Muncy is right when he told Mad Bum that he should, you know, go to the McCovey Cove and try to find the ball because who knows? Maybe taking a swim in McCovey Cove could be like the fountain of youth for Bumgarner to get back to where he once was. But I'm just extremely thankful that the San Francisco Giants fans are not running that team and that you have Farhan Zaidi and Scott Harris running that team. Because who knows, if the San Francisco Giants fans were running that team, they would have given Cutter Pence a 10-year, $500 million contract and Pablo Sandoval a 11-year, $600 million contract that would have completely blown up in their faces. Like, look at Hunter Pence's stats. The guy has two hits in the last 42 at-bats. He's hitting 0-63. And also... Pablo Sandoval, I believe, is hitting like 100. And all these Giants fans, they keep complaining. Yeah, you know, we need to bring back all these guys that helped us win a championship. Well, Giants fans, let me tell you guys something. Those days are in the past. They're washed up. Just look at Madison Bumgarner. The guy has a nine-point-something ERA. He's throwing 87 to 89 on his fastball. If you signed him to a five-year, $85 million deal, you would regret it for the rest of your life. And you guys would be wondering, like, hey, why are the Giants only winning, like, 40 games every single year. It's because of those decisions. So be thankful that you have Farhan Zaidi and Scott Harris running your team because if you didn't, your team would be in shambles. But about Bumgarner, I agree with John. I think Bumgarner is washed up. He's throwing 87, 89. Normally he throws like 92, 93, 94. That major dip in velocity is really worrisome. Uh, there might be something going on in his elbow. We don't know. Um, you know, it just it also makes you wonder how much of his success was really continuously playing at AT&T Park and now Oracle Park. Like, because AT&T Park and Oracle Park, they are one of the uh, most pitcher-friendly ballparks 
in Major League Baseball. I think the uh, the walls are like 420 foot or something like that. Like they, that is where like if you want to be good at pitching, you just go there and your num your pitching numbers become very very good. But when you take a pitcher out of AT and T Park or Oracle Park and you place them in a hitter's friendly ballpark like Chase Field or Citizens Bank Park, their numbers are going to inflate. That's just how it is. And you know I think Mad Bum is um, realizing that now and. You know, it's kind of exposing him as uh, his success was really the ballpark. Yeah, and again, I think, though, as well, that if you were to throw in another uh, pitcher-friendly ballpark, definitely it's Petco Park in San Diego. They've, I mean, who knows how many times they've redone or uh, they've redone all of the fences here and wanted to quickly say hello to one of my good friends, David Frecker, who said, hey, guys, great show. So, David, thank you for being here and for joining us tonight. Uh, but with you. that, though, guys, let's, uh, let's move on, though, and kind of stick with uh, – go for it. What is it? Isaiah? Yeah, I just, um, you said something about like Petco Park. So I, I know a guy, uh, Drew Pomerant, he was really good when he was first traded to the Padres and became the starting pitcher for the Padres. I think he had like a 1.33 ERA. And then when he got traded to the Red Sox, he was an absolute disaster. The guy had like a 6.79 ERA and he got DFA'd by the Red Sox. It just goes to show you how pitchers, uh, really benefit from a pitcher's friendly park. Definitely. And Petco is probably one of the most pitcher friendly ballparks in all of uh, major league baseball. But that does though, guys bring me to my hometown ball club in the Padres again with the lovable and lovely Brown and gold uniforms back after a long hiatus. But of course, gents, that brings me to one Fernando Tatis jr. The reigning national league player of the week. Also featured in a ESPN.com story by uh, baseball writer Jeff Passan. Again, a very great job by Jeff uh, with this. Uh, and fellas, you know, you know, I, I think for like the first time in a long time, we're, uh, the nation is probably finally paying attention to the Padres as a ball club. And again, like first time in a decade, two decades, maybe for like the first or third legitimate time in club history right now with, again, with how they have this bona fide hidden gem of a superstar on their roster again he's had this amazing week of play uh getting on base practically every game so far he's played in so far in this very brief season and uh john i know that of course the padres are uh, are uh, duking out with the dodgers for the next four days and i'm sure you'll be seeing you know a heavy dose of him uh on television with joe and earl and uh, oral calling those games on spectrum Sportsnet. but john you know i think it's it's hard to deny that this player might be the best right now and this is not even a bias but the fact that he might be either the best player in the national league right now at this juncture and maybe second best behind Mike Trout in all of major league baseball. And I know of course the Dodgers have a lot of star power and they're probably going to roll the roost eventually once the Rockies hopefully eventually fall off the face of the earth. But John, I know that of course the Padres and Dodgers are playing today, tomorrow, Wednesday, Thursday, but John as an outsider, you know, cause again, I've been around the Padres my entire life though. Is it refreshing in your mind to probably see a young boating superstar like this thrive in a market that, of course, has not really had a lot of success in their franchise history? Yeah, he's anointed. He's anointed the best player in baseball right now, I would say. Um, this is probably the most exciting player in San Diego since Mr. Padre himself, since Tony Gwynn. That's how long ago it's been since... San Diego has seen a player this good. And not only is he the best player, 
He's a generational talent. Uh, this kid is ahead of his time. He has emerged into a superstar. Um, each day, you're seeing him get better. You know, uh, he has improved rapidly. Um, he's a two-way player. He can do it with his glove. He's a great defensive uh, uh, player in the infield, makes the plays, get the come up with the necessary stops needed to help his team defensively. And then when he comes up to the plate, he's very patient. Um, you know, he's, he's uh, very poised, and he can really, really drive a ball the distance. We've seen it time and time again. I think if he grows up a little bit more, kind of, you know, put aside the showboating some, I think he will be, um, you know, probably the most likable player in the league. Um, he's definitely fun to watch. I enjoy watching his game. Um, I'm rooting for his, his uh, success. And, I mean, you know, this is just an athletic kid. He, he's really amazing. Um, hopefully he stays healthy. He stays on the right track. Um, it, it seems like he has the mental approach. It seems like his mechanics are up to par. Um, if he keeps doing this, he's definitely, we're definitely talking about an elite superstar who has a chance to make his case for MVP. You know, and just to kind of clarify real quick, you know, and again, John kind of said about the antics a little bit. You know, I'll, I'll say a couple things about this real quick. And again, it's nothing obviously directed at John or anyone else. I, I will say this so that what John's talking about was the ad bat where he had, he had hit that, you know, lengthy home run, I believe, under the scoreboard against the Dodgers, where he kind of looked into the dugout, was kind of showboating a bit. But I kind of take that, though, as like the Padre offense during against the Dodgers was not producing. He was mainly the only guy really hitting the ball against L.A. pitching. And he kind of, in a way, I think, looked at his teammates like, are you guys going to help me out? Or is it going to be me versus this other ball club on the other side of the lines? So I think though, yes, that it probably could be toned down a bit, but at the same time though, I will say this is um, the Padres are tired of being disrespected and they're tired of being a doormat. You know, they've been a doormat for everybody in the NL West for the past, you know, practically their entire franchise history, minus 84 and 98. And now you have guys like Tatis Jr. And Paddock and Machado who are not afraid to kind of, do this a little bit, kind of have that chip on their shoulder. And the Padres have needed an attitude like this for a long time. And they finally have had it the past couple of years that, hey, we're not going to be disrespected. We're not going to be, you know, your doormat to come in, wipe your feet off on and, you know, come in into our house or anything and totally, you know, and beat us. You know, and I think that's what's been missing from this Padre organization for a long time. And I think it's finally kind of in a way on a rise. But Isaiah, you know, I think though John's onto a very good point, though, is that, you know, the Trout's. And the Tatis Juniors, the Ronald Acunias, they don't come around every day. They don't come around every year. They come around maybe once every five, 10, 15 plus years. And right now, fellas, let's say that we're probably living in a great time of young baseball talent like the Trouts and the Acunias and the Tatis Juniors. Isaiah, as another outsider watching the pod race, how has it been seeing Tatis Jr.? And again, in a way, though, seeing a young budding superstar Again, in a market like San Diego, where, again, they've been overlooked for a long time. Oh, it's been fantastic. You know, it's been a breath of fresh, fresh air to see uh, Tatis play in San Diego. Uh, San Diego really hasn't had that, that superstar since Tony Gwynn. Um, I kind of liken Tatis to uh, my guy, 
Matt Chapman of the Oakland A's. Um, he, they, they're both superstars. They both got great power. They put up great at-bats. They're very patient at the plate. They don't really swing at bad pitches. Um, they're fantastic at de- uh, on defense. And, you know, they're just really poised. And they just seem like they're beyond their years. Like, uh, how old is Tatis, by the way? I think he just turned 21. Yeah, Tatis is 21 and Matt Chapman's like 25, but they don't really seem like they're 25 and 21. They seem like they're like in their 30s and they've been in their uh, in the league a long, long time. So it's very, very impressive to watch. And I really hope Tatis uh, stays in San Diego and has some success because I like I like it when the small market teams have their superstars and, you know, the superstars stay in uh, that small market so the league can be balanced instead of everybody going to your Boston's and your Yankees and, and your Philadelphia Phillies and stuff like that. Definitely. And I think when, when the game gets better, everyone gets better across the board. So again, uh, we'll see what comes out of it, but man, it's been fun, obviously mm-hmm. uh, with the Padres, maybe some, uh, False hope maybe that they're giving me uh, with their uh, nine and seven start. But, you know, hey, with the expanded playoffs right now, they are sixth right now in that expanded postseason race. So they would make the postseason uh, right now. But again, a very Herculean task having to face uh, John and his mighty Dodgers today, tomorrow, uh, Wednesday and Thursday up at Chavez Ravine before they head to Phoenix and then to Arlington for their first um, uh, first dose of uh, interleague play this season. With that, guys, let's uh, move over to basketball. But first, We'll bring in our man, shareable Stephen Wayne, to, res, uh, to announce the uh, results of our poll question. Uh, Steve, I know, man, very long baseball segment, but again, got through all the big stories, though. But, Stephen, uh, go ahead, man. What is the results of the poll? Again, the poll question being, who is the best team in the AL per our MI6 Sports Network viewers? Okay, guys. So, when it comes to the best team in the AL, by a vote of 45%, the Yankees pull in as the best team in the AL right now. Other teams receiving votes, the Athletics with 27% of the vote, the Twins with 9% of the vote, and then other being 18% of the vote. Yikes. So the Yankees still win the viewer, uh, the viewer poll here for this first question of the night. Uh, so the Yankees, and again, I think though, Isaiah, uh, we'll, we'll go here before we, again, folks, we have plenty more coming up here on the program. So again, we, we apologize for the, uh, the very long baseball discussion here. But Isaiah, I could probably see the Yankees, though, because of that lineup. Now, now I get, I, again, I know that John Carlson is on the disabled list right now, or IL, I should say, with that hamstring strain. But, man, though, I mean, I know the A's are great, man, but that Yankee lineup, though, just still scares the heebie-jeebies out of me. But, Isaiah, your thoughts on the first poll question of the night? Um, I... I kind of get it because like a lot of people don't really watch the A's. So they probably have really no idea of what's going on. Like, I mean, if we didn't talk about them, people probably wouldn't know the A's are 12 and four and on a nine game winning streak. But Callum, the thing that I wanted to say before we moved on is I just wanted to say, like, I really hope that this season doesn't get canceled because, you know, your Padres are having a phenomenal season so far. My A's are having a phenomenal start. And, you know, this might be the only time we see them with this kind of success because they're they're notorious, not known for this kind of success. The A's are known for being like a wild card team. Uh, The Padres, you know, they're really known as like a doormat of the NL West. So, Cross our fingers and hope that this baseball season doesn't get canceled. Cross your fingers, cross your toes, do something, burn some sage. John, you don't need to cross your fingers. The Dodgers are going to win the NL West. What are you doing? <laughs> but, John, I guess your thoughts about the uh, poll question, though, again, the Yankees for the viewers uh, picked as the uh, best team still in the American League. 
The Yankees buy a landslide. Look, they're a name brand team. Everyone knows who the hell the Yankees are in America. You know, yeah, if you don't watch baseball, you know who they are. Even if you don't watch baseball, even if you're a casual baseball fan, you know who the Yankees are. Look, there's people that walk around here in Southern California donning Yankee jerseys. Uh, you know, they have Yankee, uh, the Yankee logo on the back of their cars, on around their license plate frames. I mean, you know, Yankee fans are everywhere. So they're, they're a well-known team, a world-class organization. And you know what? They ha- they they are arguably one of the favorable teams to go to the World Series. You know, they have a lot of guys in their lineup that can really hit. They have a handful of guys that could hit. But uh, the Yankees are a little bit concerning because everyone in their lineup wants to hit a home run. Just put the ball in play. You know, uh, you see Carlos Stanton get injured, you know, and and – you know, the season just started, and he's already on the injured list. Um, you know, this guy's made of glass, I guess. I don't know. Uh, and then you see Gary Sanchez. He's inconsistent at the plate. His ER, his his not his ERA, I'm sorry, but his batting average is horrible. It's horrific. I mean, the guy is swinging hard at everything. He's not patient at the plate. He doesn't have plate discipline. And he's swinging at everything that's out of the strike zone. That's down and away. And, I mean, you know, if you're a Yankee fan, that's got to be frustrating. Just put the ball in play, and hopefully they don't have to put an ambulance outside of the stadium this year because injuries have just been an unfortunate thing for the Yankees. I mean, this is a team that has been ravaged by injuries year after year after year. John. Yes. I'm just surprised that when Giancarlo Stanton was signing his 13-year uh, $375 million contract, I'm surprised that he didn't, like, break an elbow signing that contract. That's how made of glass he is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness gracious. That is great. Uh, with that, guys, uh, we'll move over, uh, try to perhaps pick up the pace a little bit here. Uh, but again, a lot to get through, obviously, folks, in baseball news today, as we've already mentioned, but also, uh, guys, uh, moving over now to the NBA. The Philadelphia 76ers might be the uh, team in probably the most disarray right now, maybe close to the Lakers with how they played so far in the bubble environment. Uh, but the Sixers, though, fellas, probably in the worst spot than anybody else for the, uh, for the fact of them uh, not having uh, Ben Simmons now due to, again, uh, surgery to, uh, to help uh, with that dislocated kneecap and also now Joel Embiid also perhaps done for a couple of weeks or maybe done for a couple of games due to the uh, ankle injury he suffered stepping on the basket stanchion uh, just a couple days ago. Uh, John, does this raise the alarm in your mind about the Sixers and how they might fare in the postseason, missing their two bona fide superstars in both Simmons and uh, Embiid due to injury? Does this raise the alarm? The alarm has already sounded off for the Sixers. You know, there's no way to disarm the alarm. It, it, it's it's a wrap for them. The season's done. You're without Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, possibly. You could just kiss this season goodbye because there is so many teams in the East that's far better than you. The Bucks, the Boston Celtics, the Miami Heat, heck, even the Indiana Pacers. And don't forget about the Toronto Raptors minus Kawhi Leonard. They're still an impressive team. They got a lot of guys that people don't like to talk about. 
and they are really, really showing what they are capable of doing without a superstar playing alongside them. So the Sixers are done. You know, uh, I, I said once Ben Simmons uh, it, it was done, it was a wrap for them. I don't see the Sixers having much luck inside the NBA bubble. Isaiah, what do you make about the Sixers again? You know, because I think though that their play mainly rests and relies heavily on both Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid and their presence. And again, I think outside of them, the only like notable guy I can think of, I think, is Tobias Harris for the Sixers. After that, it's a lot of role players, a lot of guys that maybe have resurrected their careers with the 76ers. Uh, but Isaiah, maybe not the alarm bell should be ringing, but should the Liberty Bell be ringing for the Sixers and like uh, the bell is rung? Time to go home. John said it perfectly. The, the alarm bell has already rung. The Philadelphia 76ers were already a question mark with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. Many people didn't even expect them to get out of the first or second round with Embiid and Simmons in the lineup. Now they're out. They're done. There's like no other way to put it. And Brett Brown needs to start uh, packing his office out of Philly because he is getting fired this like in the all after this season is over. I can guarantee you that because the Philadelphia 76ers have been teetering on the brink of firing Brett Brown before like like this uh, before this season. He was on the hot seat and he had to make like a deep playoff run and probably go to the NBA Finals to save his job. Now that's not going to happen, obviously, because both Simmons and Embiid are hurt. So. Brett Brown, start packing your office and get ready for a long vacation in Cancun. Boom goes that dynamite. Yeah, but I think, though, John, that even with the boom goes the dynamite there for moment number two of the night is that I, for a lo the longest time, wondered how much longer can the Sixers hang on to Brett Brown as their head coach? I think he's been there practically the entire trust the process, entire uh, for, for those seasons or with them, you know, tanking, allegedly taking or just losing games that he, he's been with this ball club practically from square one. It's like, but, you know, but again, though, you can only, I think, be with one coach for so long without uh, this going on. Uh, John, do you think, though, that now as soon as the Sixers make that exit from the postseason bubble, that they, that they are, in fact, going to fire Brett Brown or anything happens in Philadelphia with uh, their coaching staff with the Sixers? As you guys all know, me, personally, I'm a very, very impatient person. And sometimes people say about me, they say I like things overnight. I'm a very impatient person. And if I was a Sixers fan, I would have said that Brent Brown should have gone a long time ago. You know, he's had numerous opportunities to turn it around. Now, I realize not all the blame falls in the lap of the coach. But 90% of the blame unfairly does go against the coach. We see it all the time. You know, if you don't win, you lose your job. Job security is not your best friend if your team does not win. And like I always say, sports in any league is a cruel business, especially for a coach. If a coach is not able to provide some kind of continuity, some kind of stability for an organization, then his job is most likely not safe. And that's what we're seeing here with Brent Brown. I think Brent Brown will be let go after this season. I mean, it's a tough break, but hey, he's been there long enough. 
I think he's shelf life. I think you have to go into a new direction now. I would agree. Uh, Isaiah, what do you think? Brett Brown going to be fired when, in fact, this is over with, or what do you think? No doubt. It would be a major upset if they didn't fire Brett Brown. I think Philadelphia needs a coach that is more um, passionate and fiery. Because for me, Brett Brown, he just doesn't seem to be a guy that is really fiery. Like, he, whenever the Sixers walk onto a court, they always start slow because I just don't see them being motivated and fired up to go and play. Like, they should hire a guy like Mark Jackson that could fire the troops up. Yeah, definitely. I think Mark Jack, I mean, you know, and again, like I said, a couple shows ago, fellas, you know, Mark Jackson basically built that Warriors team to where they're at now. And with him being unfairly fired in my mind, this hopefully gets Mark Jackson back on the sidelines for the uh, NBA uh, sometime soon. With that, guys, the New Orleans Pelicans uh, were the uh, first team knocked out of the playoffs uh, with them losing over uh, the course of the weekend. With that, fellas, a very interesting stat to know here. With the Pels losing and being eliminated from the postseason, that ends J.J. Reddick's NBA career. So the span of his career, he has now missed the postseason for the first time in his entire NBA career with the Pelicans not making the postseason. That includes, I'm going to read it off here, Orlando, Milwaukee, the Clippers, Philadelphia, New Orleans. So it took him to his fifth different team for him to miss the postseason party. He made it with Orlando, Milwaukee in 2013, the Clippers, of course, for a couple of years, and even Philadelphia over two years there. And then, of course, this year does not make the postseason. But also, though, I think, John, uh, major props to Zion Williamson. You know, of course, uh, the kid has been under a lot of scrutiny and pressure, of course, you know, living up to the hype of what he was in college. Of course, some off-the-court issues with uh, perhaps some illegal benefits at Duke. But he, I think, owned up to the team's bad start in a veteran way yesterday. And he earned a lot of respect in my book yesterday Probably come and said, hey, we can't afford to get off to slow starts like this and have to play catch up rest of the game in a, in a roundabout way. Uh, John, your thoughts about the Pelicans being knocked out, but also both Zion and also, man, J.J. Redick, first time ever not making the postseason in his NBA career nonetheless. Well, before Zion Williamson entered the league, he already was showing flashes of maturity. Um, this is a young man who handles himself as if he's a veteran. You know, he conducts himself with a lot of class and dignity. Um, we've seen that at Duke. Um, he's very calm, very mellow, and he has taken ownership for his poor performances. Um, you know, that's amazing to me. You know, for a guy his age, you know, uh, and how he, you know, goes about everything. It's just amazing what we've seen from Zion Williamson. And in time, he will blossom into something great. He's still young. You know, he, you know, he still is learning a new game. You know, he has entered a new environment. He's in a new phrase, phrase of his life now. You know, um, he's in the NBA now. It's totally different from college. And I think he was able to get a taste of that, get, the experience that he need. And I think next year he'll come back stronger. But I, I do think he has superstar qualities. He does possess that. And I think in time, he will emerge into a perennial superstar and will become an all-star. Now for J.J. Reddick, J.J. Reddick, unfortunately, ended up signing with a young team. He's a veteran on that team. 
what, I think J.J. Reddick and I are around the same age. I think he's 35. I think he was born in 85 as well. So, you know, he was coming in as a mentor, you know, with that organization. He took a lot of those guys, those young guys under, you know, and, and I mean, you know, it's just too bad that it didn't work out for them the way they thought it would. But next season, you know, and um, what an impressive streak that J.J. Reddick had. I mean, I think that's a very interesting stat. It's a fun fact, um, you know, but uh, the Pelicans weren't ready, you know, and I think it's it's a change of season for them as a whole. I think you have to also start searching for a new coach. I think Avery Gentry is another one who should be sent out of the door, should be escorted out. And that's not me trying to sound harsh. That's just me speaking reality. You know, I, I think they need a younger voice in that locker room to relate to those younger players. Maybe you go out and get a Jason Kidd. You know, maybe you 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 get, you know, a, a, a younger coach, somebody that's more, um, someone that's more energetic, more fiery, you know, um, someone who can show those guys the ropes and understand the fundamentals of basketball. I'm not saying average, average gentry doesn't, but I'm just saying that it might be time for some fresh blood in, in that locker room. You know, I think John's on a good point, though. And, and I've always loved Alan Gentry when he was leading Phoenix in the, in the mid-2000s and Steve Nash coming back and, you know, what he's done in, in New Orleans again, trying to get this young team up and running. But I think, though, that I think Zion Williamson probably earned a lot of respect in people's books when he came out after the game and said, hey, that first half, that can't happen. You know, and that falls on me. That falls on my teammates, but mainly on me to be better when we get games going. And I thought that was very, very amazing for a kid just coming into the NBA to kind of already take the onus and take the leadership. Uh, but I think, though, man, that New Orleans is going to be very intriguing, though, with that young core now, pretty much the Lakers core now, of Ingram and Hart and Lonzo Ball, and then uh, adding in Zion. And, again, J.J. Redick, again, journeyman, who's, uh, you know, again, had a very amazing career, as mentioned, making the postseason and every year, but now this year. Isaiah, uh, your thoughts, though, about mainly about Zion Williamson and kind of taking ownership or leadership saying, hey, that first half falls on me. I thought it was a tremendous move by him, and it shows that he is wise beyond his years. Um, but the reason why I think the Pelicans, like, or my reaction to the Pelicans not making the playoffs is I'm actually very, very surprised because if you listen to all the media going into the bubble and all the hype that was surrounding the Pelicans, everybody was making it seem like, you know, the Pelicans would overtake the Grizzlies and, and make the playoffs. Like, but I'm just surprised that Alvin Gentry and David Griffin, they're, uh, president of basketball operations guy for what they've done. Like you're trying to make the playoffs and you're doing a minutes restriction on Zion. Why? Like, I mean, I understand like maybe for the first half of the season, you could do it fine, but you're in a playoff race. It's time to go and make the playoffs. So, and you go and make a guy play only like 19 minutes a game. It's absolutely pathetic. I think the reason why the Pelicans are in this predicament is because they don't know 
when Zion will play or not. Like, each game, it comes down, like, an hour beforehand. Oh, Zion's not playing. Or, oh, Zion is playing. I think that that confusion really, really hurts them. Because you go into a game, it's like, so do we have Zion today or not? No? Okay, fine. And then we have someone else coming in. It's like, I just think the Pelicans, starting next year, they got to take this minutes restriction off of Zion. This guy is your franchise player. If you want to make the playoffs, then let him, you know, do his thing. But if you don't want to make the playoffs and you want to be stuck as that middling franchise that you are, then fine, put a minutes restriction on him. Johnny, got a point? Yeah, I, I thought it was weird, too, that they limited his minutes and that they had him on this restriction. Um, I get it. You want to preserve his health. You know, um, you're looking more into the future and not so much uh, um, on today. And the reason being is because there's a lot of teams that's better than you in the West. And these players are still developing as a young core. So I kind of understand why they limited his minutes. Um, that's going to be your superstar in the future. And you want to protect his well-being as much as possible. So I kind of understand why. But then also, if you want to make a playoff push, um, you gotta you got to play Zion. And, and by playing him, that helps with his development. You know, that's how, you know, you, that's how your player will, will grow and, and, you know, get a better feel for things at the NBA level. Yeah. Yeah, definitely for sure. It's a valid point uh, from John. Isaiah, what do you, you have one more point? Go for it. Yeah, I just think, like, I liken the Zion situation with the Pelicans to the Clippers with Kawhi. The Clippers have a more veteran team, and they've got um, a great bench. But the reason why the Clippers this past season, you know, they weren't uh, really, like, they were good, but they weren't really, like, the top, the one seed, is because they kept, like, every game, it was like, hey, is Kawhi playing? No? Okay. Is Paul George playing? Oh, okay, no. Because they just had, like, players coming in and out every single game. That's why they didn't have time to develop that chemistry. That's why I don't see the Clippers winning the championship is because they don't have that chemistry. You have to have that chemistry to win or, or to make the playoffs and to play winning basketball. The Pelicans don't have that yet. Zion's always coming in and out. And then you've got Lonzo shooting bricks after brick after brick. And then you have other players coming in and out as well. But that doesn't work if you want to win. That pretty much was the point I made on one of our earlier episodes, guys, was that the Clippers, in my mind, yes, they're good, but when you literally have game time decisions, like hour before the game, you know, that, you know, they're both going to play or one's going to play, it just throws everybody off and that throws everyone for a loop. I want that, folks. Our NBA poll question, by the way, focuses on the next team we'll talk about here for Isaiah and that is the Phoenix Suns, who continue to put the pressure on the number eight seed right now as the Suns won again today over OKC. They're now 6-0 and in the bubble, so that brings us to the question, will the Suns make the NBA playoffs? Uh, Isaiah, I'm going to have to guess that we're going to have to walk off set during this uh, walk-off set maybe eventually, but uh, we'll let you uh, have the fourth of the Suns in this segment here. This is my reaction when I saw the score of this Oklahoma City Suns game. I could not believe what I was seeing. They beat an OKC team that is pretty good by 17 points. 
I was utterly speechless when I saw it. I couldn't believe it because, you know, like even though I've been talking a lot of good stuff about the Suns, I kind of thought that they were still a fluke. But for them to beat Miami, to beat the Clippers, to beat the Mavs, to beat the Pacers, and now to beat Oklahoma City in this fashion is simply impressive, man. And, you know, the Suns are for real. They're, they are right in the thick of it. And as a Laker fan, I'm really hoping that they make the playoffs because I want to see Phoenix instead of Portland. But – Man, those Suns are good. They are gelling. They are moving the ball really good. Aiton's playing like the number one pick that he is. Booker is showing the world that he's a superstar. He had 35 points after three quarters. He could have gone for 50 if he wanted to, but he just didn't play the fourth quarter because they were up so much. But man, the Phoenix Suns are absolutely for real. And I hope they continue this. I really do because, I first of all, I want to bring that cake on set with Devin Booker's face on it. And also, I want the Lakers to play Phoenix. So, Devin Booker, please ball out the next couple of games. And I hope the other teams beat the 70s or beat the Trailblazers so we can face Phoenix in the first round. that dynamite third time on the show today with the dynamite going off but you know john in all seriousness in all seriousness though man there's not a hotter team on this planet or in the solar system than the phoenix suns right now man a six and oh start to the bubble i believe they have two or three games left so they honestly man if they run the ship here if they go eight or nine or no and they have all this momentum going into this playing tournament man this is going to be a fun way to kick off the NBA postseason if, in fact, the Suns can get into that play-in tournament. But, man, with how they've played, though, between Aton, obviously D-Book playing great, Ricky Rubio playing great even considering, the Suns look like a pretty intriguing piece right now. But isn't it enough, though, to kind of get over the hump? I don't really know, though, still because there's still a very, very bad man up in Portland, Oregon right now named Damian Lillard and the, and the Blazers. But, John, I mean, you, I guess you got to kind of give credit, though, where credit is due about the Suns, right? Yes, every sister, every since they entered the bubble, they have taken their game to a whole new level. And they have been nothing short of spectacular uh, since arriving to the bubble. Maybe you need to keep them in a bubble. You know, um, maybe that's where they kind of gain not only notoriety, but they also gained some momentum by uh, entering that bubble as well. Um, no, but for the most part, Devin Booker is a perennial all-star. Um, he has certainly put this team on his back and has rose to stardom in this bubble. Um, he is showing the world um, what he is capable of doing. And I think, in all honesty, he deserves better than the Phoenix Suns. Um, he has earned his right to leave Phoenix and join a team where there is superstar talent. I mean, you have to surround this guy around superstars because he is that good. You know, he's amazing, but, but I don't think the Phoenix Suns have enough to stop the Portland Trailblazers. I don't think they have enough firepower, and, and they have a lot of firepower, as we've seen. 
but I don't think they have enough to contend with the Portland Trailblazers only because the Portland Trailblazers have one of the most po- most one of the most prolific backcourts in the NBA featuring Damian Litter and CJ McCollum. Now I know Damian Litter had that off night where he missed the three and missed two free throws, which is which is rare from a guy of his caliber. But it happens. It happens to all of us. But he bounced back with a 51-point performance. So Damian Litter is fired up. And I think the Clippers might have, you know, gave him the motivation to take his game to a whole nother level. So I think Portland, at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, they'll end up getting the eighth seed, and it will be the Lakers and the Blazers in the first round. John, I agree with that. Isaiah, uh, you know, man, <laughs> it's hard to, deny, hard to deny that the Suns are not, like, worthwhile watching on television with how they have played over the past, you know, five, six games, you know, the buzzer beater versus the Clippers, and then running through everybody else practically. Uh, before we move on, Isaiah, any final thoughts you want to pass along about the Suns? Yeah, um... The whole uh, city of Phoenix might start coming to my house in the next couple of days with, uh, you know, their blowtorches and their, um, you know, their forks and stuff like that. Because you guys know that Devin Booker hoodie that I was rocking like for the last couple of days. Well, Phoenix Suns fans, I'm sorry to tell you, but that lucky hoodie got uh, stuffed with the rest of my laundry. And I put it in my washer on accident and I washed it. And now the hoodie is completely gone so if the phoenix suns lose the next couple of days you can blame me right here and like for that uh for you guys losing and you know spoiling your luck so i'm sorry phoenix i'm sorry beg i'm I'm, please forgive me steven's (laughs) gonna be pissed at you for that because he's probably put some good money wagering on the suns to win some basketball games man so uh we'll we'll keep an eye on that but guys we'll move on Steven behind the scenes with Boom Goes the Dynamite, number four on the night right there. Yes, we keep track here, folks. Much like how baseball teams keep track of strikeouts at home, we keep track of dynamite explosions here on Wild Sports Talk. Uh, But guys, staying with Devin Booker in a different capacity, that is one dream on green, guys, who was tagged for a $50,000 fine for allegedly tampering with comments made on TNT, serving as an in-studio analyst. Um, with comments about that Booker just needs to up and leave the Phoenix Suns and go somewhere else. Uh, John, I feel like this is the reason why Magic Johnson left his post with the Lakers because you want to, in a way, be able to express what your thoughts are about players and coaches and teams and not having to, you know, keep things bottled up and only say it internally in meetings. Uh, John, I also think that was sadly wrong place, wrong time for Draymond. Again, I think that probably there's probably a policy in place if you're still a current player you can't be talking about stuff like this if you're a current player still playing. I know that you're not in the in the playoffs, though, but that there's still like that fine line to, you know, somewhat toe or at least stay behind. Uh, but, John, your reaction to the fine towards uh, D. Green for, again, 50K for tampering comments in regards to uh, Devin Booker uh, probably needing to, get out, needing to get out of Phoenix, Arizona. To me, it was only a compliment. It was only a compliment about how good of a player he is and that, like a lot of us been saying, that he deserves better. You know, um, but of course, Draymond Green is an NBA player and he has to be careful and choose his words wisely. Um, 
you know, he violated the league's anti-tampering rule um, with his comments about Brooker, Booker. And, um, you know, the league is real strict about this. Um, and I think this is what led to Magic Johnson's departure. This was one of the reasons why he gave up, why he relinquished his role as president of basketball operations of the Los Angeles Lakers, because he would go on Twitter and, you know, uh, you know, express his feelings about players and he'll leave comments about players and the NBA would always get him for tampering. Well, that's what we saw with Draymond Green. Draymond Green uh, joined the TNT panel as an analyst and he was giving his thoughts and, and, you know, I'm not sure how it's really tampering because all he said was, get my man out of Phoenix. It's not good for his career. Not one time in that quote did he say, get my man out of Phoenix and bring him to Golden State. Not one time in that quote did he say, it's not good. He said it's not good for his career, but he didn't say where he should end up. He never said that. So I'm, I'm kind of, uh, be baffled by the fine here because to me that's not tampering and if you can't uh, comment about a player and and say that he needs to get out of Phoenix is not good for his career then what can you what is appropriate for you to say and not appropriate I mean it it, it, it kind of inconsistent to me and and misleading. Yeah, I think it's very misleading, Isaiah. Again, nowhere, like John said, you know, nowhere in that quote did Green specifically name a ball club, for example, the Golden State Warriors. He did not say D-Book needs to go to Golden State or go to the Lakers, go to, you know, go to the Knicks. You know, he didn't, there was no other ball club named in that report. And again, I think, though, it mainly goes back, though, to Magic Johnson, kind of in a way now becoming Sally the scapegoat of what now is tampering in the NBA where I think it got really out of control with magic. But again, though, it was, you know, harmless comments. Like, you know, I had a great time watching LeBron James lift the Cavs over the, you know, Raptors in the playoffs and it gets fine and it gets fined, you know, or, you know, Paul George had a great night for the thunder, $50,000 down the drain again, you know, and I mean, you know, Kevin Durant, you know, hopefully, you know, prayers up for Kevin Durant, you know, ripping hit, you know, being hurt, uh, with the Warriors, you know, that's another pending $50,000 deduction from his uh, bank account somewhere, you know, in, in LA. So I guess, uh, Isaiah, your thoughts about this? I think it's uh, absolute rubbish, as you would say, in regards to it. Again, like, like John said, though, nowhere in that quote did Draymond Green say, you know, get my man out of Phoenix and get him to San Francisco. Yeah, I first of all, I think Genie Bus and the Los Angeles Lakers should absolutely be glad that I'm not running basketball operations for them because if I was, they'd probably be losing millions and millions of dollars because I'd show up to my press conference wearing a Lakers Devin Booker jersey just to try to convince Devin Booker to sign with the Los Angeles Lakers or try to uh, wear like a Kevin Durant Lakers jersey or something that I would have customized uh, online. But listen, I think the 
the NBA is a communist state. I think the NBA is absolutely soft. This is so rubbish. Like you're you're not gonna let um, players comment about other players just like they do in the NFL. I mean, Draymond Green didn't say anything about you know saying Devin Booker should go to Golden State to replace Clay Thompson or whatever. He was just speaking the truth and he was answering a question that Ernie Johnson posed to him when he was a commentator at uh, TNT. So I think it's just so stupid. I think that Adam Silver needs to lift this rule because players can't comment about other players without getting fined for tampering. Just when they like, let's say, um, uh, like Jimmy Butler scores 50 points, people can't say, oh, great job, Jimmy Butler, and then they'll get fined. That's just so dumb. I think the NBA definitely needs to lift this and, you know, let the players speak their minds. Like, I mean, unless a player is saying, like, Devin Booker should go to uh, my Lakers or go to Golden State, then you can find them because that's obviously tampering. But to say, like, you know, speaking the truth and say, like, Devin Booker needs to get out of Phoenix, which I think 99.8% of the NBA fans think, then I mean that's stupid yeah yeah I mean I would think you know and, and John I'm going to go to you on this one real quick before we move on by the way folks there's a new poll up courtesy of shareable Steve uh, by the way that poll about the Suns making the postseason was unanimous 100% think that the Lakers or the uh, Suns will make the postseason I should say but now the new question is uh, is the Draymond Green fine or tampering fine justified in your mind that is the new poll question for the duration of our NBA segment. But John, let me go to you on this real quick, because I know that Isaiah sent the picture to us uh, in the in one of our group chats for, for, uh, for the network here of D-Book wearing that Kobe Bryant Lakers t-shirt. John, if you're a Phoenix Suns fan, how are you feeling seeing that image of D-Book giving that post-game interview wearing, you know, colors of probably your most hated rival in the, in the Pacific Division and probably of all time? I'm a bit concerned. Because what that tells me is that he could be leaving for L.A. You know, look, Devin Booker idolized Kobe Bryant. Yep. He emulates his style of play often. I see it in, 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 in his game all the time. Um, now, that doesn't mean he signs with the Lakers, but he he is a big time Kobe fan, you know, and, and I see him wearing his, I see him wearing Kobe shoes all the time. He's always wearing Kobe's uh, 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 air zooms. I see it all the time. Um, you know, he has that Mamba mentality when you look at his game. It, all you got to do is go watch film or go to YouTube and click on a Devin Booker video and you would see how identical his skill set is to Kobe Bryant's. He has the same mentality. He has the same focus. You know, he has the same ambition and drive as Kobe Bryant. Uh, so just because he was wearing a, a Kobe shirt doesn't mean he's leaning toward the Lakers, but it could be a sign of good things to come if you're a Laker fan. Because maybe he does want to play with the Los Angeles Lakers. I mean, look who's here. LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Who wouldn't want to team up with that dynamic duo and be a possible third option to those guys here in L.A.? It's a great possibility that that happens. Um, you know, 
will Devin Booker end up in L.A.? Only time will tell. Does he fit here in L.A.? Certainly. Will the fans love him? Yes, he'll become a beloved figure here in Los Angeles because his game is so close to Kobe Bryant. And before people take this the wrong way, I'm not saying he's better than Kobe Bryant. I'm not comparing him to Kobe Bryant. I'm just saying that his skill set is akin to Kobe Bryant's. That's all I'm saying. Trevor Williams chimed in, guys, on the stream. He says, nah, Stephen, Booker's going to go to the Orlando Magic <laughs> just to kind of stir the pot a little bit here, but that'd be pretty funny if that happened. Goes to play with Aaron Gordon and those guys down in uh, down in Orlando. But uh, Isaiah, what do you think? You know, if you're a Phoenix Suns fan, you know, you live and die with this organization. You've been a fan, you know, since, you know, seven seconds or less or, you know, uh, of the great Suns teams in 93 are you concerned about Devin Booker wearing a different team's T-shirt during a post-game interview after his team won a game? And is there a concern, though, that he might lose your, you know, probably your one of your only franchise superstars to one of your most hated rivals in your franchise history? That would be the Los Angeles Lakers. This was my reaction when I saw that. Like, I also saw it during All-Star Weekend when Devin Booker had a special Lakers customized uh, jacket uh, made and he was wearing it out on the court. My reaction to seeing Booker uh, wearing the Lakers gear was this. Woo! Let's go, baby! Book's coming to L.A. It's happening, man! That's why I got my Devin Booker Lakers jersey customized already made because I knew this was going to happen. By the way, my Devin Booker Lakers jersey is coming in uh, in about two weeks. I'll try to rock it on the show, but Devin Booker is 99% going to come to the Los Angeles Lakers. Jeannie Buss and Rob Palenka should absolutely start getting rid of contracts to get ready for 2023 to sign Devin Booker. This is a sign that he is dying to want to come play for the Los Angeles Lakers. Because, listen, his, his ceiling with the Phoenix Suns team is constant seventh, eighth seed. That's, that's it. His ceiling with the Los Angeles Lakers playing with a potentially a 39-year-old LeBron James and Anthony Davis that would probably be like 28 at that time would be like NBA finals all the time. So why would you like to stay with a team that is only going to uh, – it's going to be a battle for them to get to the eighth seed when you can go to L.A., go play where your um, your idol played for and you can try to live out Kobe's legacy there and win championships. It just doesn't make sense for him to stay in Phoenix. Well, in my mind, I think it's 99% he's going to LA when he's a free agent. <laughs> uh, boom goes that dynamite five and six on the evening. Stephen Wang with a quick trigger pull behind the scenes here with the uh, boom goes the dynamite. Uh, fellas, one final NBA topic tonight, and that is the Portland Trailblazers. And uh, John, we'll start with you on this one. Is obviously, you said it right though, my friend. I mean, you hit the nail square on the head, and you definitely won the game of whack a mole tonight by that Damian Lillard was definitely motivated by the Clippers game and the Instagram beef after the game with him and Pat Beverly and Paul George, that now it's like you kind of in a way poked the bear and now the sleeping giant has awakened in Portland, where I still think though that even though that the Suns have been a great story, Portland has the veteran leadership, 
They've had the playoff experience, and that is going to set them over Phoenix into the playoffs in my mind. But, John, though, what has this done? You know, what has that L.A. Clippers game done in your mind for Damian Lillard? And, and also, man, why do you think, though, that every single year, though, it seems like that the Blazers always get overlooked or they get written off by so-called experts because of maybe their recent history? But what would you say, though, about Dame Lillard and the Blazers as a whole? I would say that Damian Lillard is one of the top players in this league. There's no question about it. Um, he likes the challenge. Um, I think, you know, he's made that real clear time and time again. Um, he respects the grind. He, he said it time and time again that he will stay with the Portland Trailblazers for the rest of his career. He plans on doing that. He doesn't believe in moving around from city to city. He doesn't believe in chasing championships. He wants to be loyal to one franchise. And I think he has shown his loyalty to Portland and that fan base there. And he is, is going, going to most likely finish his career with the Trailblazers. He is, he is electrifying. He's really fun to watch. Um, I think he is probably the most clutch performer in the game right now. You know, um, he's scary in the fourth quarter. And um, if Portland is down, don't don't ever count them out because no lead is ever safe against the Portland Trailblazers. Because Damian Lillard, he can light it up really quick, and with his ability to shoot the ball from long range, it could get you back in the game very very quick. And we've seen it time and time again. So I think the Clippers made a mistake by running their mouths and by you know um, taking shots at him on Twitter. Because I think that just fired him up even more that now he is really locked in. And now he is so angry that he's going to take it out on everyone he plays up against right now, right about now. Isaiah, you know, what do you think about Damian Lillard and the Blazers? You know, they're a team that I think has been very much written off in past seasons, either injuries. It's Damon four other guys out there. But John said it best, though, that the Blazers are a team that cannot be countered out of a game if, if the deficit's out of control. Lillard just has to get a couple of shots made and get going, and then the Blazers are on his back and get, being carried uh, to the finish line. Uh, Isaiah, what do you make about Portland and Damian Lillard specifically at this time? I think they are a um, dangerous opponent simply because, you know, they got Dame Lillard, they've got C.J. McCollum, you've got Nurkic back. These guys can shoot the lights out from three. That is why I do not want them in the first round, and that's why I want Devin Booker and the Phoenix Suns in the first round, because if we have to play Portland in the first round, we're going to have to lose a lot of energy that we're going to need for uh, Houston in the second round and the Clippers in the Western Conference Finals and the Bucks in the NBA Finals if we get that far we cannot lose any energy in that first round we need to conserve it so that's why I'm really really hoping Devin Booker steps it up and like takes his team to the playoffs because if they can get into the playoffs that's gonna be a win for me as a Devin Booker fan because I like he'll be in the playoffs and also it'll be a win for us Laker fans because we get an easier opponent in the Phoenix Suns because let's face it the Phoenix Suns 
maybe they'll win one game in the playoffs, but against us, but that's it. They don't have anybody that can handle Anthony Davis. They, uh, Devin Booker is their only scorer. That's it. You can put Danny Green on him and you could uh, eliminate him. And then they don't have anybody to handle LeBron James. So it would be a clear mismatch for uh, the Lakers. That's why I want Phoenix in that uh, first round. With that, fellows, we'll move over now to our final topic for tonight. That is in college athletics. And guys, from an all-time high of conferences releasing schedule models, at least, to now an all-time low, as I called it today, uh, with uh, a meeting done as an emergency-style meeting, guys, uh, done by the commissioners of the Power Five conferences, or the conferences that would be the Big Ten, the SEC, the Big 12, the Pac-12, and the ACC, again, had a very urgent meeting done on Sunday, where uh, there is now, guys, been a lot of reports going around the web today, tomorrow, and uh, things of that nature, with uh, now, guys, a potential uh, opt-out or a canceled football season or a canceled fall sports season at this juncture, as has been the case, guys, with the, uh, the MAC and the Mountain West Conference becoming the two uh, next uh, conferences to totally axe the football season this year. Uh, John, you know, I have long said during this time, sadly, that it just takes one conference to kind of get the ball rolling, get the boulder pushed down the hill. And we have a Wiley Coyote roadrunner incident where another where it just again continues to kind of sprawl and, you know, get out of control. And now, John, as mentioned, we've had meetings. We've had votes that have taken place. We're having more votes take place tomorrow. And as the week progresses, uh, John, what do you make about the. Uh, uh, your reaction, I guess, to the uh, news of the meeting done by the Power Five, and again, what this might, in fact, um, what in fact might happen here with uh, not just football, uh, but college sports across the board for the fall of this year. This has snowballed out of control. Um, it, you know, looks like a travesty right now, um, and it looks bad on so many levels right now. For right about now. It doesn't look like there's going to be a college football season. But you know what? I have a feeling that these conferences and these commissioners in these conferences are going to get their act together. And there will be an agreement sometime soon. The reason I say that, Colin, is because of this. Look, if there's no college football season, you know how much money the universities lose? Do you know how much money college athletics losing this, this is a huge, this is a huge loss, you know, uh, for all these universities. Um, you know, they will see a fall in revenue. And I, I think that before it's all said and done, that they eventually reach an agreement and there will be a college football season. I'm very optimistic about that. Which, John, a great point, but that leads me to the poll question for the, uh, uh, the college segment folks. Will there be a college football season in the spring of next year? Now, uh, Isaiah, I know, man, that this has been a very changing story, man. And like I said this morning on TQN Sports, it's been a story that really, I think, exploded last night uh, with the meeting that was done by the Power Five commissioners in the ACC, the Big 12, the Pac-12, uh, the SEC, and the Big 10, um, where you know, there was a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of, you know, urgent matters done. There was vote, I think a vote done today by a conference. I believe there's one done tomorrow. 
and that one was meeting today as opposed to tomorrow. So there's a lot of changing events going on. But Isaiah, you know, man, very troublesome couple days here where we had, you know, kind of seen blueprints laid out by conferences for the scheduling and, you know, stuff like this. And there was games to look forward to. But now, man, we're kind of in a way kind of kind of back to square one. And maybe now, I think, in a worse predicament than we were a couple days ago. Isaiah, your thoughts on the latest development in college athletics with football? Again, probably now either being canceled, fall seasons being canceled, or in some cases, uh, college football maybe being moved to spring of next year to at least salvage the season. Uh, I got to respectfully disagree with John. I don't think that there's going to be college football this year. Uh, if you look at the reports right now, uh, Pat Forty tweeted last night, uh, sources attempts to salvage the fall 2020 college football season are all but over. It's gotten to a critical stage. One has been, t- uh, one told SI, I think all of us will be meeting with our boards in the coming days. We have to do work. That is no fun. And then Ross Dellinger tweeted also that college football sources tell SI that the Big Ten is moving towards a decision to cancel the 2020 fall season. And also uh, Dan Patrick said on his show today that uh, he like the Big Ten is going to cancel the 2020 college football season. And um, uh, I think he also said like something interesting was that the SEC still plans to play and that they are offering one year deals to uh, universities that are part of um, the conference that have canceled football for the fall. And they're uh, reportedly planning to let those universities uh, get out of their conference and join the SEC for one year, like teams like Ohio State and Penn State, USC maybe, if the Pac-12 handles. But that's really interesting because I don't know how would that work. Like you're leaving a conference for one year to join the SEC and you're going to come back. There might be some legal ramifications on that. But this is a very, very sad day for every university in America and also everybody associated with college athletics. But it's especially a very, very sad day for USC fans because those poor, poor fans have wanted that hack Clay Helton gone for the last three to four years. And somehow, some way he keeps coming back each and every year, even though USC has been hot garbage the last two to three seasons. And with this season being canceled, uh, yeah, that means that Clay Helton is coming back for yet another season. So John, get ready for another season of mediocrity at USC in 2021. It's just so frustrating because I'm not a USC fan, but I want to see them succeed because it's like in the NBA. When the Lakers are good, the NBA is great. Or when the uh, 49ers are great, the NFL is great. When USC is doing good college Football is great. And this man, Clay Helton, continues to put up results that are far below the standards at USC and keeps getting brought back for some reason. Like, I don't understand. This guy has is mediocre. He's like Jason Garrett, but he has the job security of Nick Saban and Bill Belichick. So I'm wondering, what in the hell has Clay Helton ever done of, at USC to warrant that type of job security? But you know what? Jokes aside, um, Get sorry, John, but get ready for another season of mediocrity at USC. And also, you can kiss Keaton Slovis's promising career goodbye because you could have won championships with that quarterback. That's how good he is. But you will never realize. But yeah, you will never realize it because you have a head coach who is absolutely clueless. But 
like I said earlier, jokes aside, this is a very, very sad day for every university, every collegiate athlete, and everybody involved with college athletics. Let's start with the athletes. They work very, very hard to get to this point, and they have a chance to compete. But now some of them probably played their last ever game in college because even if the NCAA grants you another year of eligibility or moves football to the spring. If you're projected to be drafted very high or even in the first round or the second round or even the third round, why would you risk coming back and God forbid getting injured in the spring or getting injured next year and ruining your career and losing millions and millions and millions of dollars in these times of uncertainty, the best route, even if you're projected to not go high into the draft is to go to the NFL and go collect that bag. And now let's move to the universities. Football is the biggest moneymaker for a lot of these universities. They, this is what generates the money to keep some of these small sports programs alive for them. The big schools like Alabama or Ohio state, or even Texas might be able to survive losing a year of college football, but it's the small programs that are already teetering on the brink that I'm worried about teams like New Mexico state who even with football, they are already running on a very low budget. They can't do any renovations of their facilities or even uh, rebuild a new stadium because they just simply don't have the money. And now with no football for a year, who knows? They might have to cancel their football uh, program permanently. They might have to cancel other programs like volleyball, uh, baseball, soccer, um, this isn't just a one-year thing. This is going to have repercussions that are going to last for decades. And lastly, to the people associated with football, these people that either announce games like Callen or people that work in the stadium like ushers um, or in the concession stands like I did, this is their main source of income while studying in school. Without college football, they lose their jobs. They don't got money to pay rent or pay bills or even go out to eat. And also, I feel bad for the college towns that are built around college athletics. Towns like Athens, Georgia or Columbus, Ohio, that doesn't really get visitors in except for an Ohio State game or even Ann Arbor, Michigan for a Wolverines game. These uh, towns rely on college football to keep their talents running. They rely on it to get students to go to the restaurants to eat or, or to get to the hotels to stay in. Without college football, they're losing billions and billions of dollars and a lot of business. So it's a sad, sad day for everybody associated with college athletics. And, you know, it just sucks that the coronavirus has to ruin yet another great thing. Yeah, for sure. And again, uh, Isaiah, thanks for the uh, uh, for the uh, the input on the uh, the college at the college uh, employees. Again, as mentioned, uh, again, I don't work in college football, folks, but still the ramifications, though, as Isaiah said, though, with volleyball, soccer, baseball, softball, basketball, even uh, could, in fact, have some major, major ramifications. Uh, John, last thing I want to get to here in the night before we, in fact, hit out again, folks, like mentioned already, the MAC and the Mountain West have already announced their plans to cancel either the football season or cancel the entire fall sports seasons again at this time today as well. But, John, more than anything else, though, is um, Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields uh, were the first two players late last night to put out the hashtag we want to play with this graphic done by the I'm guessing this is a player's. Alliance of Players Unification Program uh, being done by members of the Power Five schools. So again, the ACC, Big Ten, Big 12, SEC, and the Pac-12. 
um, that um, pretty much laid out what they are, in a way I would say, demanding or wanting to, or asking for to get their season either going in the fall, maybe in the spring. Uh, John, you know, I said this morning that this is probably like the first time in my lifetime watching sports, 26 years in the making, that I can recall college athletes, not the pros, not a pro league, college athletes, really in a way using their platform at the college level to say, hey, what can we do to kind of get ourselves up and running, you know, and get uh, the season going? John, what do you make about the, the comments and at least the uh, statement that was put out by both Justin Fields and uh, Trevor, uh, Trevor Lawrence with the uh, hashtag of we want to play? Well, we live in the age of social media, right? So everyone has a platform now. And a lot of these players from this younger generation are using their platforms, and rightfully so. Everyone's entitled to their opinion. They want to play. They're competitors. Any competitor wants to play, you know? And, um, you know, they realize what's at stake here. Not only a championship, but their draft stock. Their draft, their draft stock could now be put in harm's way because of this pandemic. It, you know, this pandemic has affected so many lives in so many different ways. And it's affecting these young players who are looking to enter the draft next year. You know, how are they going to have any draft stock if they don't play? You know, um, how are these, these teams and these scouts going to be able to see what they can produce for your team if there's no season? You know, you can only go based on the film that, that, that's already out there. You know, and that's kind of hard, you know, because a player, you know, sometimes they decline, sometimes they improve. Um, sometimes a player is a fluke for one season. They're, they're good, and then that player just disappears out of nowhere. I'm not saying Fields and, and, and Lawrence are those guys because they're not. They're definitely top draft picks in the future. And I think that's what they're mostly concerned about is why they put out that they want to play. Isaiah, what do you make about Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields again? I know that there was a tweet that I read this morning, too, from a writer that works at the University of Cincinnati who said that biggest losers of there being no season would be Clemson uh, because they were uh, favorites for the national championship. There was USC having uh, Clay Hilton back like a pimple on prom night pop up again until 2021. There was Michigan not being able to probably again beat Ohio State again. And I said this morning too, again, if Michigan would have lost again, I would have hoped that Jim Harbaugh would have been fired. And then there was also one more player too has been rehabbing to come back from injury. But Isaiah, though, what do you make, though, again, about for the I think the first time ever that I can recall, like I've said, college student athletes putting out their own statement about what we want. Again, maybe it's maybe it looks like a, maybe it looks like a demand list in people's eyes. But honestly, they just want they just want to be able to play their season sometime in the spring, in the spring or in the fall. So what do you make about Lawrence and Fields and their uh, Twitter remarks last night? Listen, I, before I get to that, I want to address that tweet that you just laid out, Callan. And um, I think there's uh, one more loser that we all forgot, and that is Ohio State. The yes. Buckeyes coming into this season were uh, prohibited favorites to win the national title. And now, not only are they not going to be able to win the national title, they're going to uh, lose the, their, the services of their star quarterback, Justin Fields, because... Even if the NCAA grants him another year 
uh, as a college quarterback, he's not going to take it because why would you? You have an opportunity to be the number one or two pick in the upcoming NFL draft. So why risk injury uh, like playing in college for no money when you can go and get the bag and go to the NFL? And um, also about that tweet, Listen, I was like, I'm a big, I'm really bummed about Michigan not getting to play Ohio State again because I was hoping Ohio State would de uh, demolish Michigan so that Jim Harbaugh could be fired and he could land at USC because, heck, everybody's chirping about how Jim Harbaugh is so bad. John, you could agree with me on this. Are you serious? You would not have, you would rather have Clay Helton over Jim Harbaugh. If Jim Harbaugh became available, we USC would snatch him up in a heartbeat. So I really do hope Jim Harbaugh gets fired so we can go to USC and restore that uh, proud Trojans program. But I really feel bad for Trevor Lawrence and Keaton Slovis and those guys that tweeted, you know, that we want to play because they've been training so hard this offseason to play this season. And now all their work goes down the drain. And it's going to amount to nothing and it is so so sad but I want to take it a bit further I agree with what Paul Feinbaum said I think a couple of weeks ago when he said college football has no direction there's no direction in college football you have a president that's clueless you have different conferences making their own decisions like the Big Ten is canceling the SEC is deciding to play the Mountain West is canceling there's just no direction like everybody's going their separate ways and it's like we need a sense of clear direction. I think what uh, the NCAA should do, like Paul Feinbaum suggested, they need to get all the conferences to be one so they can have one direction, not having someone go one way and the other one going another. No, it's time to have one direction, one way. And that's what college football needs to do. And it's certainly lacking for sure. And even today, Stephen A. Smith very passionately on first take said the season should be canceled right here and right now. And I think a lot of people would agree. Uh, the voters do agree with Stephen A. Smith uh, this, uh, with this poll question, again, that we had posed. Will there be a college football season in the spring of next year? 67% of the voters say no. So, John, what do you take about that? Again, the, vo uh, the uh, voters saying uh, no for a college football season in the spring of next year. I'm not surprised. Stephen probably is with Boom Goes the Dynamite, but John, please continue. I'm not surprised at all by that poll. Um, it, it just, I, I think that there's still a, a possibility, but what you guys said, it, it, it just doesn't seem like anything's going to happen at this point. It, it looks like the season is going to get canceled after all. So, um, you know what? Hey, if it does, it does. Um, it's going to be weird without football, though. That's for sure. Isaiah, you're hunched over. We're at the two-hour mark. Uh, what do you have to say for yourself about uh, what the voters said again? Uh, six, again, 67% of our voters, 67%, no season in their mind. Well, before I get to why I was hunched over, I, it had nothing to do with the poll. I totally agree with it because I just can't see football. in Even in the NFL, I can't see football starting up. Because when you look at it, 
Football is a contact sport. Look at baseball. Baseball is a socially distant sport, and they already had outbreaks. Just think about what would happen if you've got players like touching each other almost every play. It's impossible to get football uh, started. That's why I've been saying there. I don't think there will be football until after the coronavirus pandemic is over. But the reason why I was so pissed off just now is because I was looking at um, – the A's game, and Matt Chapman hit two home runs in two at-bats, and I have him on my fantasy team, but I benched him because I forgot to start my damn lineup, and now he scored over 74 points. I'm just so pissed right now. And this is why you continue to lose to me, Isaiah. I'm just... The quality of gifts coming from this program, folks, are going to be absolutely incredible at this point in time. Even Stephen... Oh, even Steven is getting in on the act with this one. Yeah, oh, my goodness. Uh, Steven, can we just go to John real quick? This show is freaking golden. Oh, oh my goodness. goodness oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> And I gotta apologize to the uh, fans out there. I got just so frustrated that I lost seventy-four fantasy points right down the drain. That I just completely, you know, threw a tantrum on set and threw Ooh. my papers everywhere. Like I don't even know where they are right now. Geez, I threw it somewhere far. Who knows? It literally looked like it literally looked like a Brinks truck took a wide turn. And the back door opened up and all the money bags flew out the window. And all you see is money flying up in the air with all the paper that had went flying in Isaiah's garage. John, are you okay? Yeah, I'm better now. Uh, if we can, before we get any further off the rails here, now that we are totally off the beaten path and our horses are passed out from this utter nonsense here. Uh, John, can we please get your final thoughts on the night's program again? Well over two hours of utter lunacy. But hey, plenty to, to talk about today. My final thoughts is that Luca is gonna take over the league in the coming years. Did you guys see that amazing? You did you guys see that amazing pass? Yep. It, it was a between the legs pocket pass that capped the night. Oh my god, that was just amazing. I like Luca. I think he's an amazing player. Dallas has a superstar, baby. Good luck to the Mavericks in the future. Not, I don't want to give them too much luck because they're in the same conference as the Lakers. But, but, Luca is a bad man. The Larry Bird of 2020. Before we go, um, if I could get consent from MI6 that 
we also run this show on the SoCal Chronicle website. Yes, sir. Absolutely. We will be Absolutely. running this show on the SoCal Chronicle website simultaneously, streaming every Monday and Wednesday. Awesome. Great to hear. Starting up, uh, adding more outlets, fellas. We're just plugging and chugging, adding more uh, m- uh, more plugins. Isaiah, your final thoughts on the night's program again. Talked A's, talked the brawl, talked baseball. Uh, did it all, man, in about a two-hour stretch. And again, Stephen, thank you for being allowing us to be here for two, the, yes, the past two hours, man. But uh, Isaiah, we got through a lot, man. Uh, final thoughts. What do you got? Yeah, you know, I just want to thank you guys for letting me uh, celebrate my birthday on uh, the show it was so great you know it's so great to be 22 get to live another year it's just so amazing you know oh i can't wait for uh year number 22 to be fantastic filled with a lot of great sports podcasts with you Callan and you john and you know we're gonna have a lot of uh different gifts as we approach uh year 22 of my life but you know i another thing i gotta say is um Lance McCullers Jr. has a no-hitter going in the sixth inning of the Giants and Astros game. Uh, I don't know if he can keep it up, but if he does, we will definitely talk about it. And we were talking about the Diamondbacks early on. Uh, Bob Nightingale brought up a stat that said, not just Madison Bumgarner, but wait, let me read you guys that stat before we uh, sign off. 3%, hurry up. Madison Bumgarner and Robbie Ray have combined for one and five record, 9.96 ERA, 34 and a third innings pitch, 42 hits, 39 runs given up, 38 earned runs given up, 14 home runs, 21 walks, uh, 36 strikeouts, and neither have pitched into the sixth inning. It's just very worrisome in the desert. White flag. I surrender with those numbers. And here I thought Ray and Bumgarner would have been some bona fide aces. Steven, any final thoughts you want to pass along for Ricotta here for the night? Yeah, guys, it was a great show. Really, really enjoyed it. And man, was it wild. You know, yeah. you brought up one final point, Callan, about Isaiah throwing up that paper and it's like the money coming out of the truck. You know, that would be funny if Isaiah had any money. The thing is, he's lost all of it to these terrible bets. John's walking off the set. <laughs> I mean, we're at that point where we're just done <laughs> done now. But, folks, there will be plenty of great content coming your way on the MI6 Sports Network with all the gifts, all the reactions tonight. And, again, a major shout-out to shareable Stephen Wang for producing. And, of course, John and Isaiah. We'll talk to you guys again on Wednesday. Good night. Good night, guys. With that, folks, take care. Stay safe and so long for Stephen Wang, Isaiah LeYoung, Jonathan Mathis, Cal McClurg saying good night and see you folks back here on Wednesday, back here at 6 p.m. Pacific time on the MI6 Sports Number. Take care, folks. See you then. Good night. You've been listening to Wild Sports Talk on the MI6 Sports Network. You can watch the program live every Monday and Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. Pacific time. Like the MI6 Sports Network on Facebook by visiting Facebook.com and keyword searching MI6 Sports Network in the search bar. And also subscribe to our podcast channels wherever you get your podcasts. Just search MI6 Sports Network and subscribe today.